Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When Dave Roberts from Washboard Union said to me, hey man, happy to join the round table, but guess what? We, the band, Washboard Union, have a Juno Award for Garth Richardson for all of his hard work, for being with us from the beginning, and we want to present it to him. Do you mind if we do it on the podcast? Well, there was only one answer. Of course it was yes, and it happens on this episode. The very talented and awesome Garth Richardson, producer of Rage Against the Machine, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Biffy Clyro, you name it. We're live at his school in Vancouver, Nimbus. It's awesome. His team produced this whole thing. It's part two of the roundtable chat, and we're going to give him a Juno. Not me personally, but Dave and the Washboard Union are, and it makes for great listening. Brought him to tears even. It was really awesome to be a part of. Thanks, Dave and the Washboard Union. Brought to you by my friends at Varia Brewing, the three-in-one coffee machine, maker, mocha, cold brew, pour over, you name it, man. It's doing it all. I'm giving it away next week. This is episode 10. Next week's episode 11, we're going to do a review of the 10-part music series, and then I'm going to give it away to one lucky listener. So this is the last chance to get on board the giveaway. Like, share, review, everything you got to do. Let's get it out there. It's the Brenton on Tour Music Cast, episode 10, part two of the roundtable, live from Nimbus in Vancouver on a very snowy January night. We're giving away a Juno. Juno. Here we go. Let's rock, let's rock today. Out on stage, I get to bring all of these people together for three hours. You're listening to the Brenton on Tour Music Cast, brought to you by people who love music, people who make music, and all things, well, music. You still don't really know who he is, but he just helped you stop drinking shitty coffee on the Coffee Cast. So, get off to John, grab a ghetto blaster, hit record and play at the same time, and learn a thing or two about music. It's the Brenton on Tour Music Cast. Here's BD. I want to take it uh, to a spot now. Um, Garth. Yes. Let's start with you. From a production standpoint, Garth and Doug, um, and we can run the table on this because it kind of goes in order. So w- what I want to do is producing bands now, the, the new way to produce bands, if there is one. We were talking earlier about a lot of bands are using just producing records out of their, out of their home, like right in their room. Billie Eilish, you know, some of these artists are, are making stuff at home. Like and, oh, wait, wait, you go back to Moby's uh, porcelain. Sure, but it's very prominent. Like I mean, they literally can, in his living room. Totally. And my my question to, from the production side of it, how is producing records changed now? Um, because it hasn't because oh dear, or how uh, are you guys it getting hasn't paid? Because it's it's always it has always actually been about a song. The thing is, is that now we can store store the data on your actual laptop, you can have it on your phone. Uh, the Pink Floyd, the wall record, half of it was made on, on actually David Gilmore's boat. So, 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 so everything, it, it's still the same game. It's just that we don't have the money anymore because nobody is actually buying, buying actually a, 
product. But you are now getting these extra streaming companies uh, uh, within five, you know, five more years, you're going to see Rogers, you're going to see Telus, you're going to see Google buying Sony, you're going to see all of the major labels are, are, are going to be bought up. And then there's going to be so much more, more money there, but it isn't falling down to other bands. It's only going into the shares. Whose pockets? The old, the old way was you're saying bands will come to you guys, Doug. Um, they'll come to you with $5,000 and say, make me 20 songs. A real record company, what was it before? Did, like, well, before was anywhere between $200,000 to $600,000 per record for 43 months' work. Plus, you'd get maybe a piece of the record. And you get a piece, a piece of the record. Now, actually, good budget's probably $50,000. <laughs> Garth, you know? Garth gets that kind wow. of money. Well, <laughs> Doug yeah, just a piece of a penny. $49,000. $49,000 is, is what we get. Yeah. What, uh, Doug, uh, what, are they, what are bands bringing you for money? <laughs> I'm dealing with, I, okay, so my studio, I was dealing um, maybe a rung down from what Garth is recording. Put it that way. But you, in budgets, in budgets, quali- like I do, I record a lot of great artists and I'm proud of everything that I've had come through the studio. Because you don't have budget doesn't mean that you're, you know, doesn't mean that you don't have something going on. So, um, well, in my, fact, probably most bands that are up and coming don't have the budget. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And and here's the thing is that <laughs> there's benefits and the benefits to recording technology changing is that the uh, cost is is a lot lower, but the the downside is that the barrier to entry is a lot lower too. So there's a lot more noise out there. So. I would say, um, I guess I'm dealing with with indie bands that are coming at me saying a lot of them want to do songs or EPs now, or maybe they would do full albums, and they're doing it for the love. Like they have a passion, they have a song that they want to hear, they want to hear it rip through their speakers, and they're like, I need to get this out, and I want it out the best way possible, and that's my job is to be like, okay, let's make this sound as good as can as it can sound, and and. Let's work within your budget, but you're going to bat a lot more than you ever were before. The jobs are all come, as you know, there's engineers are producers, which are mixers, which are, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, it's also that they're also comparing what they want to sound like to somebody that, that has spent $700,000 on yes. a record. This one mix, the mix, the mix was actually $3,000. And they came back and said, it doesn't sound like Fleetwood Mac Rumors. <laughs> and I went, uh, because they spent about a million and a half dollars on the record and you spent $5,000 in your basement. Can I, can I ask, um, in this day and age of so many artists creating so much of their own content yeah, and then they come to you and they realize, okay, I want to work with a, somebody outside of myself to right. produce this. Um, how often are you having that discussion, the tough love discussion with an artist of they Always. really don't think you, you really don't have what you think you have. Always. In other words, you kind of suck. Well, <laughs> <laughs> without, without losing the client, no, like you basically say client, you don't have my what job you think is you my, my job is to say, no, that is not good enough. Cause you have your name's on it too. That's not a course. That's a good verse. Right. You don't have a course in the song. Yeah, but it's our course. That's not a course. Right. You, you know, Dave can actually, uh, you, you know, you know, actually back on this. I gave these guys hell. I was like, no, the songs weren't there. Go back and write more. Go, go back and write more. 
Yeah, yeah. Garth would come to our rehearsal studio and stand in the middle of the room and listen to our rehearsals and, and listen to the songs. And then we'd sit would there. Would he yell? <laughs> he wouldn't yell. I wouldn't yell. I just throw food. <laughs> he walked out a couple times, but yeah. it's 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 how many times it's been proven that a great song that's recorded not so well will pop, but an a uh, so-so song that's recorded beautifully, meh, will be a reaction you get. Always be reaction. Yeah. Are we still it's, under it's the... It always res- comes yeah. back to fundamentals. It Are we still under the restraints, though, of... of um, but obviously, the labels have changed from the standpoint of there's still some really awful songs on the radio. You yeah, know, but it's always been, sure been the way. You know, you know, who let the dogs out? <laughs> What's with that, actually? Like, this is one of my big frustrations is why does Vancouver not have good radio as far as... You know, you're just hearing the same pop songs over and over, mm. or it's not just Vancouver, or yeah. it's, 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 it's everywhere. everywhere, or it's the classic rock. So, you yeah. got your classic rock option, or you got the same old pop songs over and over again. I, and I'll, but I'll, Vancouver's I'll worse, I'll yeah. say this because when you travel, like, well, like my daughter and I are always listening to music and stuff, and we'll travel and be like, how come they've got at least a hip hop station? At least, you know, there's at least something else in other cities here, nothing. Mm. What's up with that? We don't have the population dynamics to support multi-formats that people would like in, in, this, in this city and in this country. We're still a country of only 38 million people. And really, though? Yeah. Because New Zealand, New Zealand has a pretty... I, I don't know. I'm going to disagree with that because I, I, I think that Vancouver, one of the studies that I did when I was first starting my collective, I think it has like 100,000 or maybe less than Nashville. Yeah, but and I, radio, radio stations are dying and they're owned by big corporate behemoths that app answer to people in boardrooms and they're not going to play what we want to hear or these people want to hear or minute amounts of people want to hear that 97% of people that are listening to Spotify at 100,000. They want to play the top 200 songs on Billboard per their format. That they want to play the best right. country. They want to play the best rock. They want to play the best pop. They want to sell ads to Walmart and, and Chevrolet and whoever else. They don't care what you listen to. They care that they have big numbers. Fine, but that's not a population thing. No, but that's it's, a choice. But it's, that's, that's working a different with thing. each population. So when you're, you're working with Vancouver, the Vancouver radio signal only goes so far. Once you get to Surrey, Langley area, it disappears. Right. So you're missing hundreds of thousands of people past that. And there's no good radio stations but beyond that. And it sort of echoes what we were talking about in the club scene. We have a shitty club scene. Part of the reason is because the club scene's never expanded past Main Street. Right. It doesn't go past Main Street. If you've played the Commodore, you go, your next gig's in Kelowna or Calgary. Right. I did a gig with Doug years ago in Chilliwack or with Biff. And there used to be a couple of radio stations here, right? There was XF, what was the other radio station? It was XFM repeater in Abbotsford. They, they, had, they had the Valley. But it's so turned into a they country, actually had like a they had a rad station to me. They used to play all the like really good. They played a lot of rock out that way, and I would do shows with Doug, with Biff out there. But there was three hundred people in a club. It's like oh, we got a million people on the other side of the bridge, but there's only three hundred people there because people you know were going downtown. So, but that's fifteen years ago, and now nobody can afford to live in Vancouver, so they all live in Surrey, Langley, and yeah. uh, Abbotsford. All open a club. So it's it's all changed, and that's, well, that's why the point. Abbotsford Arena yeah, has that, sold that's out shows. Point two. For a band to have to tour today, yeah, it costs them because they have to pay the label, the managers, the agents, the crew, the truck, the lights. The a buck forty for a liter of gas. Yeah. Air Canada. A buck forty for a liter. <laughs> I used to do. I used to do sound for 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 a band called actually Sheriff. 
I got paid two $200 a week. Every single Friday, I'd have a steak because that was when we got paid. The band would would split actual plate of fries. Yeah. You, you, you know, so it's harder and harder even now to have a band tour. Yeah, yeah it's very, very expensive. We yeah. we just did a bunch of settlements again for a, a, one of the bands I manage, and people, the bands, are, when they see the statements, are always shocked what's yeah. left. Well, it's because yeah. Canada's so big. Yeah, but there's still only 38 million people, and you know you got to go yeah, 12 hours that, to get to Calgary, which is the next biggest population. Yeah, and I was I was on tour last last <laughs> year, and it was you know I was on tour in England, and we were doing shows, and there were so many theaters, and within five hours we were at the other end of the country, yeah. whereas here in five hours you get to the end of your driveway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah, spent I, uh, I spent about five months, six months a year in Europe doing shows. Right, the, there's no doubt that the scene, every scene has their own thing. Right. They all have their own Toronto, Queen Street. You know, Vancouver had a, had was known for a really healthy music scene. Christina, to your point, there's new venues popping up now, so hopefully it'll you know invigorate the city again and bring it back. But in Europe, it's it's different. Rock is very prominent over there. You'll go radio over there. You'll hear Iron Maiden beside the new um, you know like a like a like a new U2 song. Yeah. It's weird. They just don't care. Just like that's how their festivals are curated. They don't care. You'll see Florence and the Machine and then Slayer. Yeah. Like they don't care. So just Canada, North America as a whole, they're still. Yeah, it's very different. It's market. very I different. I don't know market. that they don't care. I think that they just realize that that's what people want. Yeah. Well, exactly. Like, I'm just, that's to yeah. my point. Like it's just sort of like we're just going to put all these people together and go for it. And they try over here. But like Coachella, um, you know. Finally has rock with your boys in Rage Against Rage. the Machine. Yeah. Rage is right? back. Uh, so the good. biggest, you know, one of the biggest bands of all time, produced by our friend Garth down down the way here. But they, people are complaining. They're always going to complain about something. So we got to rock back on Coachella, but then we don't have enough of something else. Yeah. And well, for that's, years that's it was the only internet pop. age of whining, though, yeah. right? But over in Europe, it would be <laughs> over in Europe. People would look at that lineup and go, "Holy, you know, my niece who's sitting in the crowd. She went and worked uh, at a festival this year." And I'd bring her up here, but she's got a cold. So, uh, but she went over there, and they had what forty-five bands over wow. there, and everyone was loving every single band. And they try, they try. But Christina, you would speak to the Europe because you came from London and yeah. all that. But North, but America, North America is not, not diverse enough that way and, and, culturally. And can I ask a question here? Because this isn't this is an observation, and it's purely subjective. But one of the things that I was kind of ruminating on when I thought about the whole artist development thing was. In England, you grow up and you go to the pub with your parents and you listen to the music that's being played multi-generationally. And here, there are such strict laws on drinking. There are so few all-ages venues. There, you know, In England, when I was living there, you can be 16 years old and with your parents in a pub and listening to live music. And there's always live music in the village pub. So here, I think there's this huge divide between being a young person and being a parent, you know, and there's no, you're not merging those two things. And I wonder if that's something that causes audiences to fracture a little bit generationally. I think you're absolutely right. Cause again, you got all these kids growing up in the burbs, they're forced to live where they are and where their parents have put yeah. them. And when they go, when they turn 18, 19, whatever of age, they're going to go to the local pub and the local pub's going to be playing top 40, uh, yeah. either top 40 bands that are just trying to hack out a living or, you know, be, you know, it's just a side gig that keeps them all 
satisfied or they're going to be playing music that's in the pub, which is, you know, some Stingray channel or somebody's playlist from the DJ behind the, the bar. They're, mm-hmm. they're really just trying to sell drinks. And, and I understand that that's their business. Uh, they're, they're making money selling goods and services, but they have, they're not developing a scene. They're not developing a culture. Right. Um, they're but not I, coming I at speak. it. A lot of these places yeah. are, are owned again by big companies and they're not a, a small independent company like the Rio who's like l- trying to satisfy a demand for hip hop or acoustic mm-hmm. or whatever see, they're yeah. trying to satisfy. What I can speak to is that we actually have a lot of all ages shows at the Rio. Yeah. Um, because there is a shortage of venues. There's uh, most most all ages shows can't go to a bar downtown. I know. So and because, licensing because of our space is so uh, multi use. Uh, we end up getting a lot of the all ages shows, and the young uh, people are huge fans. Very supportive. They That's great. you know they buy tons of merch. They're super into it. And so it's been kind of, uh, I'd say, inspiring for me to see all these all-ages shows. That's great. And so how do you help so other venues? Like, what, what is it with this grandfather licensing? What do we have to do as a city? Well, to- see, in our case, we, we got a license as a venue, but we're also a cinema, so we're, we're kind of a unique situation. And the Vogue is the same, right? Uh, the, Vogue yeah, the Vogue is grandfathered as well. The Vogue is to do all-ages yeah. shows as well, yeah. So you're allowed to mix it up. Um, so, I mean, the liquor laws are just weird. I mean... I, that's a whole other story, but we actually had to get the liquor laws changed in BC just so that we could show movies and have alcohol. So that was, okay. that was a whole other thing. So again, I so. feel like these venues should come and talk to you and you need to do a roundtable to, yeah. to help more venues so get Can I ask how you handle the whole legal so, yeah. weed thing in that whole thing too now? Like <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's a real factor as a yeah. independent, right? Like. There's the a lot weed. of audiences want there's people who don't want to drink, but they want to have a they want to smoke it's a joint, which is not legal. It's the same as it legal. always is. So you know, everybody just that? people just smoke outside. It's the same as it's. But how ever can you been. capitalize on it too as a business? I don't feel it changes because I don't think consumption is. I, don't, I think people smoke weed the same as they always have. I don't True. think it's ever changed. I don't think it's changed. But it's I don't know. I mean, for, for all ages, I mean, you obviously have to watch out for pre-drinking because sure. that's that's a thing for sure. Uh, but, um, pre-drinking as a teenager. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just say I that tonight. we do need more all ages, uh, uh, venues because like you say, um, it also keeps kids out of trouble, you know, like you got places to go. I, I mean, otherwise I'm sure a lot of us, when you're young, you just end up hanging out in the park with your, yeah. you know, with your Slurpee full yeah. of vodka or something. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, having all ages venues, more of them, I think is a good thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. I want to go to a spot. We got to, we're going to wrap in about 15 here. I got to get Garth on a plane. So. Um, and Lyle, you're going on a plane too, so we'll get you guys out of here. Um, JJ, I want to come to you for a minute on Scrape Records. Yes. So there was a stat uh, recently released that people are kind of on the fence about vinyl sales through the roof and CD sales are going down. But you, you know, you, they're coming out digitally, we're coming out in CDs, vinyl, but you had a store, the store had to close. And then okay, where, where are you? Where are you now with the state of product? Okay. And what it's faced with, you know, what you're faced with. First thing we'll, we'll, we'll try to be a bit clear about, and it's under, it's understandable that people will come up with the, any conclusion. Well, the, the typical conclusion when a business closes, it must be closing. Well, typically in this town, one of two things, probably rent went through the roof. That was your main reason to close, or you have no customers and you're not making any money and you can't pay your bills. You have to close. I'm a psychopath. I closed just because I wanted to close. Business was rocking. I just wanted to be 
um, expanding my knowledge and know-how in the music industry and wanted to take more challenges and risks and doing other things rather than suddenly being 812 years old and going, what did I do with my time and my life? And you don't expand and take chances like yourself without trying and growing and feeling some pain along the way. In the last near four years of not having the store has had its ups and downs and I've been learning a lot and things are definitely on the upswing and being included in tonight is one of those cool opportunities. Um, that, that was the hardest part in closing the store. Well, not just because sales were good, because sales were good, customer base was good. Loyalty to that store, primarily because it was of a you know, hard rock and metal community is one of the loyalist music fans you'll find. I, you know, I still have people buying product off me and it's, and it's cool that I'm actually still selling stuff for what Online. it was even on the, sh on the shelf for, or more. Online, Online or, or, or bringing it right to them. Or, you know, somebody in here might, might be texting me or dropping me an email saying, Hey, I, do you have a copy of this still? And we, we meet up or I bring it to a show that happens often. I'm selling products still almost daily. What was the biggest sell? What was the split between CD? Well, here, here's, here's the thing is that, you know, I, I started at A&B now, like it was, it was, you know, early 90s, went to, went to HMV and then opened the store from there. Um, opened the store November 97. I was still, my last day at HMV was October 10th, 1997, and I opened the store November 1st, 1997. It was a, a pretty crazy couple of weeks there. But anyways, I was selling vinyl at HMV in 94, 95, you know, I'd be calling the one place in the UK or in Germany that managed to still press a couple things and I'd find these things and I'd bring one or two copies into the store and put it on the shelf and I'd sell these things. The managers and I were going to be like, this is insane. And it's like, well, I'll just bring in a couple and see what happens. And I'd even say, if they don't sell, I'll buy them. But I'd sell these things and often I'd be mad I didn't keep one for myself because I wanted one <laughs> later and it was such a small pressing, all of a sudden it was gone. But anyways, uh, fast forward to the store. Till the, till the day I closed the doors and through this whole last maybe what is deemed as the last maybe 15 or so years, 10 years of this vinyl rise, I was still selling more units CD-wise and dollar-wise than vinyl because it was never a trend in my world. It was always treated as an equal because it's physical media. There's some people that preferred the discs. There's some people that preferred the vinyl. And then there's a lot of weirdos such as myself that wanted both because I can't play vinyl in my car. I don't listen to stuff digitally. I don't stream. I don't rip stuff. So I have a CD for home. I have a, a CD for my vehicle because I have CD player built into my vehicle aftermarket because you can't get them anymore pretty much with the CD player anymore. I want one in there. I'm putting one in there. Got my turntable at home. I got my CD player at home. Really no different than us that are, you know, from way back in the day that would buy a piece of vinyl and a cassette. Or you might buy your piece of vinyl and the blank tape to make your copy of the cassette to listen to your Walkman uh, because you, know, you don't have a portable media for your vinyl. So that's how I still look at it. Again, it's supporting the music, supporting the band, supporting the product and quality of product as opposed to quantity of product. That's Garth, another Garth topic and of Doug's point, it's all about the song. Quantity. It's always about the song. It's, it's always about the song. song. And it's always, yeah, like again, I, I'm, more, I'm, I'm more, you can say that's more of an old school vibe, but it all comes around. Everything that's vintage becomes cool again at some point, no matter what it is. Dave. And the CD isn't far behind. 
Vinyl came around, it all circles around cassettes. That's one I still don't quite understand, but again, if somebody wants to support physical media and if it helps the industry, then I'm, I'm all for that. Bring back the A-Track. A-track. <laughs> Dave, what's, uh, what, where, where do you guys find Washboard Union does most of their business? And obviously, you know, right now you, still, you guys are selling CDs and uh, vinyls, yeah? Uh, yeah, um, but definitely live for us is, is the line share. Um, Live. Yeah. Merch too? Merch and, and live. Yeah. I mean, we, we're kind of fortunate because country kind of has a, a large demographic. Um, so you'll sell a lot of shirts. You'll sell um, a lot of CDs to the, to the older folks at the show. So you're kind of in a lucky spot. It's kind of a sweet spot to be in. Hey, Dave, um, mm-hmm. would, you, would you say to break something now? Is it, what, what is like the holy grail? It's not terrestrial radio, obviously. Like what, what is your, what is, what, what breaks a washboard union song now? And, and what, what is your, like, what do you guys are like, okay, cool. We hit this country still matters. Uh, radio still matters in country. Um, it's, it's, it's like a flipping on a switch when your song gets played across the country on every single country radio station. Okay. And all of a sudden people start showing up to your shows. They start seeing you more at the festivals. You start getting invited to the bigger and larger festivals. It, it still matters a lot. Okay, interesting. And you know what I wanted to say about that when we were talking about radio before is I feel like we're missing a big opportunity in Vancouver because if we're talking about the uh, local live music scene and if it's not tied into a radio station, then that's not happening. That collaborative relationship of Mm. what you're just saying that like their songs aren't getting played on the radio. So then it's not encouraging people to come out to see stuff. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like if some somebody started a radio station and did that, <laughs> give me a million dollars, dollars. I'll start one for you. Any format you want. <laughs> well, look, we had the beat that came into the market That's about right. twenty years ago, and it was serving the urban market that was massively growing in Vancouver's and, and North America's thirst for urban pop R and B, and it was owned and operated by basically a couple of nobodies. Uh, who got lucky with their license, so to speak, and good for them. But eventually, um, they didn't really have the funds to support it. They didn't have the sales, the marketing, the skills to be able to pull it off. The ratings weren't quite there as a result of it. And then along comes what is now known as Bell Media, and they buy it. And then they slowly turn it into a pop station. So it, it's it's I'm not trying to sound defeatist and saying we could never have that. It's just that... We have still, by radio standards and what radio companies, media companies want, they want really big numbers. They want the really big numbers. Radio results. Caroline. Do you remember when uh, the guy had a boat off the shores of England? Yeah. Pirate radio. Pirate radio. The boat that that movie. hasn't somebody done actual podcast radio station to where... They you can you try, live. you get a guy like Todd who wants to do it and, and he wants to go, he goes to the CRTC and the audio yeah, video licensing. You shouldn't trying, have to go to the CRTC. He shouldn't have to. He shouldn't have to. You he shouldn't. should be able to declare what he's playing <laughs> and it should be protected by copyright. You're absolutely correct. Somebody should, should start extra pirate radio and play all yeah, of Put your the middle finger in the air and I play the goddamn song. we got something to do next week. That's what we were lucky enough to do. Myself and my friend Rob Gray were lucky enough to do at Fox. We were coming in off the street Two, two idiots that had just gotten out of radio school and we had given, been given carte blanche to play hard rock and alternative when we were playing everything from Rage to Slayer to the Beastie Boys, whatever we wanted for an hour. 
Metallica and, and Tool. And, well, bands, lot. We, we I bet helped. you that was a great hour. For it was a great hour. And there's, so, you, could, could you hear the, cra- yeah. the programmers cringing at home as they're laying in bed going, what the hell are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, well, still, there's still the university stations like uh, the SFU. And, there are, but they've yeah. got such a small audience, right? Exactly. Well, and also, it's you're just listening to our shows here and there, right. so you're right. not getting... Right. It's, it, and people aren't doing variety. that. Now. now it's a podcast yeah. world. It's an on-demand world. It's a playlist world. Mm-hmm. And well, so radio... So the thirst for radio has really changed in the multimedia world. And, and I know how to fix that. There, there's a few there's a few things that I wanted to mention on, on radio, being that I did radio for 20 years. Um, never do I have people come up to me and go, dude, I remember I remember that day that you played Pearl Jam's Evenflow. Like never. That never happens. <laughs> yeah. But people still to this day, I haven't been in radio now for six years, still to this day. People go, dude, that rock report was amazing because yeah. you, you played songs that nobody else played. You guys programmed yeah. it yourself. Danger That's and the I difference. programmed and Jeff O'Neill, when Jeff was doing it with me as well, we literally were playing whatever we wanted to play. And of course, that as a specialty show in radio, they want those they want those hours or that 15 minutes or whatever they've set aside for these specialty programs they want those shows to outperform what the radio station is doing as a whole. And, and, that's, and, and it did. Yeah. And the rock yeah. report did that because of, okay. you know, you could, you could feel the, the energy of these two music geeks talking about whatever the band was and playing just something that's so left field or just playing an album cut. It doesn't need to be Enter Sandman from Metallica. It could be holier than thou. It could be through the never. Still great songs, still um, an amazing band, still a core artist. And that will get the people that are listening to your radio station actually talking about your radio station. If you keep playing Sad But True and Enter Sandman, there's no chance people are going to say, wow, did you hear C-Fox today? Like It did the same thing as yesterday. Like like You should have heard it. Zero percent chance of of that happening. Now, to, to my other point of how radio needs to how radio can be fixed. And when you fix radio, it will address everything that we've been talking about here tonight. One thing for, for radio, and there's three things that, that radio could do and should do to get out of where they're stuck right now. They're stuck in a rut. They're still doing the same format that they've been doing literally since the 60s. They play the biggest songs. They do commercial breaks that are four minutes long. They do 30 second commercials. They sometimes do 60s. They get away from that. They give power back to the DJ. That's number one. Mm-hmm. So if you have a really good phone call with somebody and the, the call ends up with them talking about whatever it is, um, a, an album track from Rage, we can't play that because you're not allowed to. You're literally going to lose your job if you play that. But why not? Why can't you? So for you know, for continuity and just for having your radio show be more fluid, give the power back to the DJ. It doesn't mean that they're going to completely derail the radio station, but that's number one. Number two is play album cuts from the big, big, big artists within that genre. So instead of, again, not Metallica, it could be anything, Foo Fighters, Nirvana, it could be any of the core artists in all genres. And the other thing, and this is the main thing, support your local artists 
instead of playing 15,000 Pearl Jam songs, play them 12,000 and give 3,000 to a local artist. Instead of playing Tragically Hip 20,000 times, love the hip, play them 15,000, give the 5,000 over that year to the local bands. Now suddenly, uh, I can't remember who was saying, I think it was you were saying that, uh, you know, they, they don't get any play. Now suddenly they get played. Yeah. Now they're addressing the local scene. Now the bands that are being played are telling their friends to come out support. Hey, I heard your, your song on the afternoon show on Fox. That's not happening now. But if that happened, maybe those venues wouldn't be closing down. Maybe our scene would be bigger than what it is. Agreed. Well, there's a story. Simple fixes, but you think it would be simple, but because of the structure of where radio is at, it's almost impossible what I just said. Well, there's a story back back in, I think it was 1969, my, my father and about six of the people went down to Ottawa to force a radio in Canada to play people from... I'm actually Canada because mm. they, 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 it's not one song being played. Right. Right. So it's almost like we have to do that now. But for newer artists, spend the time and say, you have to pay, you know, every day uh, uh, play 18% of brand new artists. They from, used to have that here. in CanCon regulations. It went away. There used to be rules about, okay, you have to play 30% or 35 or whatever yeah. you agreed yeah. to in your licensing. And, X amount of it had to not have been in the top 40. Yeah. But then they deregulated all of that, and well, that's when all of those the, Jack the FM labels, style stations came wanted in. To, and they, they, they wanted all of that. Yeah. yeah. So, but I was going to say, we, we, don't, we just don't have the filters anymore. And, and again, now in an internet age with 50 million songs in your hand on Spotify for $14 a month, and all you get is a search box and good fucking luck after that. That's all you get. You know, yeah. and and what you had with radio was people who are going out to the clubs, producers, other people who are all on this panel and other just scenesters would go out and check out bands that were local and say, you know what, this is a good band. And then it would get on to a local radio show at some point, maybe just a couple of spins, but you don't have that opportunity. You don't have the Vancouver Seeds that Fox had. You don't have... Um, the peak performance project. You don't even CBC radio is not really fostering local talent as much as they used to. Um, so you've got all these big radio stations that have huge reach, not reaching people on Canadian talent. And then when people go looking for talent, they're forced into playlists. They're forced into, they're going to see a Drake record before they're going to see the record that they're looking for. And they get, down a rabbit hole listening to music that they didn't really intend on listening to. And so the Canadian music consumer and the Canadian artist is constantly, we're splitting hairs. We've got so much, you know, Christina, so many splits on that. Can I, can I offer then um, just to that point, uh, a little case study. Do all of you know who, like what triple J's hottest 100 is? So triple J is, I think a perfect solution for a, a, helps to solve the whole, like it's a smaller audience. Australia's not a massive, massive nation. Um, and I grew up on Triple J. I spent seven years in Australia. Um, and they basically get the, it's a government funded radio station, but for four weeks before the start of the year or some part of the year, they get all of the, um, all of their audience to vote on their favorite local music. 
And then they present it as the hottest 100 and it comes out as a CD. And I'm not sure if it's always local, but it's the engagement level is there. And it's four weeks out of the year, but then it, be it became this iconic thing. If I ever wanted to know what the next punk rock like phase or rock phase was going to be and who the biggest names in Australia were, um, it was Triple J because they made the effort and it was a long game but it really made sense. And I love the idea, Corinne, that you were saying about, you know, local bands needing to have that opportunity. On the, on the flip side of it, it gives the audiences a chance to have, a, it's, you know, it's labeled, Triple J is called Australia's or radio's greatest democracy. Um, and I think that that's a beautiful opportunity for what you're doing um, in terms of spitballing ideas of how to create this magical, wonderful radio station that we've all got to go out and do now. Um, that or a pirate ship that Goth is going to probably commandeer. right now in Canada, you've got certain companies that literally have the same playlist for a radio station in multi-markets. Like, I won't mention Toronto, any names, right. that, but Winnipeg, I could, I could tell you sitting with a, a national program director, when you got an ad on certain radio stations, for, for a song, when I was working at Sony and Capital EMI, if you got an ad, a song added to a radio station, you knew it was going in on Hamilton, you knew it was going in on Winnipeg, and you knew it was going in on Vancouver. All of a sudden, between those three cities, you've got a potential audience of about 6 million people. In an audience in a mm. country of 35 million, you just knocked out a big chunk of audience. And, right. and not only that, as soon as you get those, those markets, then other markets go, why are they playing that song? And maybe they'll give them a shake you know, in their next so there's a positive to it, but there's well. also a huge negative in that the local band is not getting it. But the point is the, the big radio media companies were doing the same thing. There was no local programming. Mm. Right. It was, they, they were programming local radio stations like they're programming satellite radio. I'm a huge satellite radio fan, but when it comes to local radio stations, where's the local other than the weather and who won the hockey game? Right. The Leafs oh, won yeah, the, hey, by the way, who won the hockey game, guard? Uh, <laughs> Jets won four nothing no, against no. the Canucks. No, thanks, guys. We're gonna roll now. We gotta get you guys out of here. I can't thank you guys enough for joining tonight. I gotta thank Team Nimbus for putting this on yeah. tonight. Uh, big round of yeah. applause for them. Thank you. Uh, look them up in Vancouver, please. Uh, Garth's wonderful team. We've got Ryan Jarman, Jeremiah Gowan, Michaela Lyons. Eat Gueller and Brandon William Fletcher. So thanks, guys, for all your help. Thank this you. Great job. It was really, really great. Uh, the biggest thing about this and the biggest miracle about this was, was, was um, obviously a discussion about where we're going. We can go on for hours and hours and hours. But getting Garth and Dave on the same panel, because Dave owes Garth $25. Yeah, Dave owes, yeah. Garth, 25 bucks, Dave owes Garth $25, and I told him that Garth might hit him. Well, so that's the reason why I like him down here. Separated. Yeah, that's why I separated them. Keep but you, you you said you had you, you have the 25 bucks. Well, I've got some money in my pocket right now that I could actually <laughs> can you, can give. We, yeah, yeah, I don't I'll want do any that. fights. I'll take so, whatever you get. We need to know what this is about. Well, there's probably a studio story we can't talk about. And I should mention, uh, if you want uh, local Vancouver music. This is actually pretty rare, seeing a musician uh, put his hand in his pocket and come out with some money. So. <laughs> <laughs> put Especially that on Canada. the internet. Oh. Uh, Look at that, $25. Bucks. And then uh, do we have a little Canadian bit of a surprise. Pool. We have a little bit of a surprise for uh, for people. This doesn't... Uh, Look good on 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 podcast as far as the the look of it, but it's going to sound really great. Dave, you got something uh, that you wanted to talk to Garth about? I'm just going to put that there. You guys watch that. I'll be right back. Wait, we're going to play some uh, Jeopardy music. Do, 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 <laughs> you know? do, do, do. 
This is crazy. I'm scared. It's awesome. So uh, I was saying earlier that uh, Garth was actually one of the early believers in our band and um, showed up when nobody else did, which was pretty incredible. So uh, this year we were fortunate enough to win um, Breakthrough uh, Group of the Year at the Junos. And uh, we would like to share this on behalf of uh, Chris and Aaron. And uh, you open that up. And um, it's just kind of, Holy. we can't thank you enough for being the first person at the table. Whoa. Dude, that wow. is incredible. I get my 25 bucks back, though, right? <laughs> is that the first uh, Juno presented on a nice. podcast? I'm not sure. but That's great. Dave, thanks for bringing that, and thanks for Washboard Union for suggesting it because uh, they brought it to our attention about wanting to do it. So, Garth. Thank you. What do you got to say, my friend? I'm in tears. <laughs> Seriously, I am. Wow. Congratulations, Garth. Congratulations to Washboard Union. Thank you, Union. guys. Oh, that's oh, wow. That's very cool. Fantastic. Thanks to all. Uh, any last words, guys? Just yeah, thank know. you for having us. What a lovely time. Oh, this is fun. Mm -hmm. I love this room. I love what Nimbus is doing. Uh, I love what Garth has put together. Um, four students that want to learn. Uh, uh, it gives them an opportunity to really dive in. They produced this whole thing for us today. So, again, I can't thank you enough, Garth. You've got a great idea. Your team putting it together. Christina, everyone that was involved today. Uh, everyone for showing up in a snowy January. Yeah. Uh, and Dave, uh, for making a Juno presentation, this was oh, this was great. Um, Garth, well deserved. Thank you. Well deserved. Cheers. Yeah, pretty uh, cool. We could do this with you guys for another three hours. By the way, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I feel like we're Brenton. just scratching the oh, yeah. surface. I, I really appreciate the range of experience too, because a lot of times I am, you know, driving around going, "Why isn't there a better radio?" You know, you're <laughs> complaining about these things, and and you know, I know my world. You guys know your world. We all so complain about the same thing. Yeah. So, but but it, it, I feel like some you know some ideas get percolated when you are talking with people who've got other experiences. So, it's, thanks for bringing this all together. This a is cool really station good. though that's close by in Seattle, KEXP. Yeah. Yes. Them. They are okay. wicked. Um, yeah, went and saw a show they did um, for during Iceland Icelandic festival in in October. Saw this band uh, Solstafir play there. Unreal, and thought. How, how did they do this? Like, never mind, did they have a band playing in their studio? They have bands playing there quite regularly. And yeah, they, they do a they lot of uh, acoustic stuff too. Yeah, there. yeah you, you go check out their, their, their site, their YouTube, KEXP. Crazy variety of stuff. And I was looking on their page and going, I don't even know who half of these bands are. And a good chunk That's of so them I'm not even interested in. But however, I appreciated the variety. And so I just don't know who, the, who's, who these guys are. But the attention and how pro it is. Like this is college radio times 5,000. It's, it's amazing. KEXP. Thanks, Thanks, JJ. That's awesome. Uh, Christina, you had one, uh, one more thing? I just wanted to say thank you to Creative BC because it's because of them that we, we restored the room to look like this. They partially funded this room and it's, it's, I'm so grateful for what they're doing. Last time I was here it's was great. a rehearsal space. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. Great spot. Uh, thanks to you all. Uh, Thanks, Brent. Check out every, everybody's uh, Toddcast podcast and listen to Local all Local Vancouver them. music on yeah. the podcast, nothing but. Yeah. Uh, really, really great. Thanks to our giant studio audience for showing up. Thank Huge. you so much. Yeah. yeah. That's it for this, uh, this session. This is uh, episode 9 and 10 of the Brenton On Tour 
Music Cast as part of the podcast series that I'm doing presented by the Toddcast podcast. Thank you very much, sir. Our friends at DeanBlundell.com uh, and coffee. Always, always coffee. Thank you, my friends. <laughs> Until next time. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.